from the center of the universe and the home of your Grey Cup champion, Toronto Argonauts. It's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos postgame reaction podcast brought to you by Something in the Water Brewing as the Toronto Argonauts take out the Ottawa Red Blacks 44-31. My name is Ben Grant and before we get into this postgame reaction podcast, I just want to tell you a little bit about Something in the Water Brewing located, well, right here in Liberty Village. Something in the Water Brewing, not only do they have fantastic beer, but they are a go-to for Argos fans for three reasons. One. They're very, very close to the Argos practice facility and Lamport Stadium. They're very, very close. Sorry, number two, they're very, very close to BMO Field. Just a stone's throw from BMO Field. And three, they have award-winning beer, including, maybe this is point four, uh, Longboat Pale Ale, which is a, a beer that was made exclusively for fans of the Double Blue. And if you haven't tried it yet, you've got to get down to something in the water to try Longboat Pale Ale. It's it's my favorite uh, it's a perfect post-game celebratory beer and a really nice summer one as well. So something in the water brewing. If you are in Liberty Village, make sure you check that one out. All right, let's get to let's get to some of what happened today. And I don't even know where to begin with this. This was a, a just a, a wild football game from the word go. Uh, it it started out a little bit slowly for the Toronto Argonauts. We had, a, a, I think, two and outs to start for the first two drives. But once the Argos got going, it was lights out after that. Chad Kelly finishes the day with 417 yards passing, four touchdowns. And it just was touchdown after touchdown after touchdown. They couldn't be stopped. It was a quiet opening first quarter and then 21 points in the second quarter, 13 points in the third. And then they were able to just cruise in the fourth quarter as they focused on running the football, killing the clock and some good defense. So... Let's get into that recap, and I think it starts with the play of Chad Kelly. So, Chad Kelly, 21 of 28 for that 417. His performance tonight, what impressed me so much, and we've seen this all year for Chad Kelly, his poise in the pocket. He was so patient. The Argos ran a lot of plays where they were passing on unconventional downs and situations, typically where you'd see teams run the ball. They would instead either load up the formation or go heavy play action and have Chad roll out and buy him some time as he's rolling out. And he waited. It made me nervous at times because I hate seeing quarterbacks take hits. And he did. He took a number of big shots tonight. But for the sake of getting his receivers open, that's that's the key because the, the pass protection was fantastic. I thought the Argos O-line did a really nice job. They kept Chad Kelly clean, not a single sack allowed. But some of those hits came from Chad wanting his receivers to be in the best situation possible. So he'd wait for Devaris Daniels to clear his corner route. He'd wait for A.J. Olette to find some space in the middle of the field. And then you'd take the hit as he's offloading the ball. And uh, yes, it's it's a team play. I just, I just want to see Chad Kelly take fewer of them. The most nerve-wracking one for me came right at the end in a situation where... The Argos are trying to kill the clock. There's not much time left in the game. And we, we, saw, we saw the Argos run almost this exact same situation. I think it was the first game of the season. They're just trying to kill the clock. Chad Kelly gets a, a read play. So he's, he's riding the ball with A.J. Olette. This time it was Andrew Harris. He's riding the ball with Harris. And he reads it. The, the end crashes. And he correctly pulls the ball and runs with it. 
but you don't want your quarterback running with the football in that situation. You're just there's like less than a minute left. You're just trying to kill the clock. Give that ball to Andrew Harris. Let him take the hit. He's he's the guy that's built for it. Uh, you don't want your quarterback taking hits, but but that's Chad Kelly. That's what you get from him is the selflessness. It's not it's not about it's not about him looking good. It's not about his rushing yards. Like that's not why he pulls the football. He pulls the football because he's doing the correct team thing. Like he believes this is best for the team, and he's putting his own health and safety sort of on the back burner. But he's got to, and I know Coach Dinwiddie's going to try to get through to him and pass that message along that you just, you have to, you cannot take hits in that situation. You're going to take hits throughout the course of the game. That's fine. You call that play in the first quarter, yeah, you're going to take a hit. But when you can avoid taking hits, you've got to avoid taking hits, not just as the starting quarterback, as the star starting quarterback. But let's just go through uh, his play aside from the aside from the intelligent decisions he made and there was one big mistake which we do seem to get one per game i'll go through that in a little bit uh yeah buying time finding his receivers open but the decision making he he doesn't overload any one particular receiver that's what i love about chad kelly this season is that he's not it's not like he's got his guy like you might look at the stats today and and devaris daniels i'll get to his numbers in a minute you might say well look that's that's chad kelly's guy it's not most games. Look back, go week through week, and it's a different receiver every game that steps up and has a huge one. For for Daniels today, it was him. He was open, but Cam Phillips actually led the team in targets. And it's it's not like Cam Phillips has been dominating the stat sheet. He's not typically a go-to guy for, for Chad Kelly. It's whoever's open. And so whether it was Unger, whether it's, it's Daniels, Phillips, Giddens Jr., Brissett, they all got targets. A.J. Olette got a touchdown reception because he was the guy open on that play. Chad will find the guy open and he'll wait for as long as possible in order to allow him to do that. But it was massive having Chad Kelly back in the lineup. You contrast the play that we saw from the Argos tonight to what we saw in the second, third, and fourth quarter last week. Again, I'm not trying to knock Cameron Dukes. I'm not trying to knock Brian Scott. I like them both. I think they both got real potential as CFL quarterbacks. But the drop-off, Chad Kelly is playing like the best quarterback in the league this season. And you see it. It's night and day. The 44 points that the Argos put up, and it could have been more. Like, this could have been an over 50-point performance for the Argonauts easily. They just kept shooting themselves in the foot with penalties, which we'll get into a little bit later. But, yeah, Chad Kelly with a monster night. It could have been could have been almost 500 yards if things had gone uh, the way that I think Coach Dinwiddie wanted them to go and they hadn't committed penalties. So, yeah, Chad Kelly, I I think easily uh, the, the best game of him uh, for him this season. Let's talk about that one mistake. It was a pick six. That's a costly mistake. And this Toronto defense, I think, played a lot better than the 31 points looks. But it's because seven of those go to Chad Kelly, specifically the Toronto offense uh, on that pick six. So what happened on that play? It looked like a it looked like a, a really bad throw from Chad Kelly. What it was is he never saw Brooks. I think it was Carriel Brooks that, that ran that ball in for the touchdown. So Andrew Harris was lined up to Chad Kelly's left. Harris has got a little swing route. Chad is watching and he sees to his right, I believe he sees man coverage to his right and doesn't see a linebacker go out with Harris. And either it was split coverage, I wanna go back and see this to be sure, but not having seen a replay, that's what it looked like to me live. It looked like we had man on one side, zone on the other, and Carol Brooks 
just sitting there in the flats. He never moved. But Chad Kelly's looking this way. He sees, he knows, well, he doesn't see, he knows Harris is going off to his left side and he doesn't see any linebacker go with him. So he turns and he, and the reason I think this is because he didn't turn and gun it. He turned and floated it out to, to Harris. And if he'd thought there was a defender out there at all, he would have zipped it in. But he didn't think there was anyone near there. Brooks is just standing there waiting for that, for that ball to come down. And uh, he's, he's able to pick it and just uh, walk, it in for, walk it in for six. But that really was, was Chad Kelly's only mistake of the game. I didn't see anything else that stood out to me. I thought he played, I, I actually, his smartest game of the season. I'm going to overlook that, that interception just because it was such a weird play. But um, what I also liked is that his depth of target, um, that was something that was cool in this game. He had the pass protection. And so you saw him go deep downfield. But there were a couple of times too where he could have taken a risk deep downfield or taken an easy sort of mid-range completion. And usually we see him take a risk. Here he took the sure thing and it was a money ball that allowed his receivers to turn and, and turn that sort of catch and run into, into a big play. So like you look at like the DeVaris Daniels, like 60 yard pass reception touchdown. Uh, let's, let's get into the receivers a little bit now and talk about some of the things they did today. Cause this was by far the best game of the season for DeVaris Daniels. This is, this is one of the best games of DeVaris Daniels life. He has six catches on six targets for 180 yards and three touchdowns. This is just a monster performance from DeVaris Daniels. And he leads the league in average yards per reception. He, he had that going in. But after putting up these numbers today, uh, it's just an, an unbelievable 30 yards per catch today. And of course, capped off with that 60-yard touchdown pass. But he was exploiting the Red Black secondary. If you caught the pregame walkthrough podcast earlier this week, I said one of the keys to Toronto scoring points was picking on, especially on the field side of the secondary, but there were vulnerabilities there. As much as I, I do like Sharab Baltimore, I do like Abdul Kenna, I, I think that the relationship there, the step that I believe Baltimore has lost uh, really shows up and they've got so many moving parts now. They're missing they're missing so many guys. Go back to the, you know, go all the way back to like Money Hunter. Like they, this is a secondary that has been picked apart a little bit throughout the, the course of the season. And they're just sort of a, a skeleton unit out there now. And they're, they're just not what they were to, to start the year. And, and Toronto exploded that, especially deep downfield. Um, Devaris, what made him so good today, his route running was super crisp. It always is. But like, remember, Devaris is, Devaris was once, um, once upon a time coming out of Notre Dame was like a 4-4 guy. He was a speed guy. That's not really the way he plays now. He plays with crisp routes with really good contested catches and, and really good focus. He's able to bring in balls and take coverage. He's able to create separation despite not having the explosiveness that he once did. It's not like, it's not like he's like 35 years old or anything, but but he's in you know his upper years as a receiver and he's he's become a wise receiver and that's how he makes his yards. But for him to get 100 180 yards is just unheard of. But he was getting open on corner routes. He was getting open on, on deeper routes. And he was going for a run after he made the catch. Let me point out a couple of things that I love from DeVaris Daniels' play. So, uh, one, on his long touchdown, the 60-yard touchdown, 
He got in behind coverage. He checked back and he had kind of closing in on him. And he knew that if he turned on the Jets and just tried to straight out run Kenna, he probably gets caught at about the five yard line. Doesn't want that to happen. And so as he as Kenna starts to approach, he actually throttles down a little bit, gets his body turned around and stiff arms Kenna, which forces him to drive Daniels into the end zone. There's no other choice. And so the touchdown ends up happening as a result of Abdul Kenna's momentum. And that's just a smart heads up play. And a less savvy receiver tries to just run it in himself there, gets caught, and now you're facing a first and goal from the five, which is still fine, but you'll take that touchdown every time. The other one that I want to talk about where I thought was just such a, a headsy play from Navaris was it was uh, a touchdown pass in the third quarter. Chad Kelly rolls to his right, and he's got a flood concept to his right side. It's a designed roll with three potential receivers. The Argos lined up in trips right, He's got three receivers all at different levels. He's got a guy in the flats, a guy about 10 yards deep, and a guy coming across the back of the end zone. None of them are open. Ottawa's picked it up beautifully. Chad buys time. He waits. He actually actually sidesteps Lorenzo Malden uh, while he's waiting. And Tavares Daniels sees his quarterback in trouble. He's at the far side of the formation. He comes gunning across the goal line all the way from the backside. Kelly sees him come into view and has to sidearm it to avoid throwing it into an Ottawa defender. Sidearm slings it into Daniels for the touchdown. It was an unbelievable throw from Chad Kelly, but it's a heads-up move from Navaris Daniel to look back, see that flood's not there, my quarterback's in trouble, I'm going to go bail him out. But yeah, what a game. Six catches, 180, three touchdowns. I hope you had Tavares Daniels in fantasy football this week because he might have won you that game on his own if Chad Kelly didn't do it for you. Uh, let's talk about Cam Phillips a little bit. Nine, nine targets, so he led, uh, he led the, the team in targets. Five catches for 115. This is the first time, I think Hoagie was saying, and I wish I'd listened more carefully, I was analyzing a play at the time on the broadcast. Hoagie said this is the first time the Argos have had two receivers over 100 yards since Chad Owens, and I can't remember who the other guy was. There's a few options there, but... Um, yeah, going back to, to Chad Owens, we're, this is not uh, yesterday or the day before. We are going back in time for this to have two receivers over the 100-yard mark. But it was that kind of game. And it's the first 400-yard passing game uh, they've had in, in years as well. McLeod Bethel-Thompson was the last to do that, but not last year, not the season before that. We're going back to 2018-2019. To um, just a massive game from Chad Kelly, too. Cam Phillips' numbers could have been better. He had a couple catches that were erased by penalty. Curly Gins Jr. also had a really big catch that was erased by a penalty. And I will, I, I promise, I'll get to the penalty yards. I'll get to the penalty situations in a bit. I just want to highlight the performance from these receivers first. Next thing we want to talk about, A.J. Olette. Not only as a receiver, he did catch a, a one pass, a one target for a 12-yard touchdown. He was running the ball so well today. And I got to give credit to Coach Dinwiddie as well as the offensive line. AJ deserves a lot of credit on his own too. So let's start with Dinwiddie. The Argos run plays today, they threw some wrinkles that I have not seen before. You get used to, and I, I watch the Argos every week, but I also watch them at practice. I have a really good understanding of what is in the Argos playbook 
and even if you're just watching all the games at home on TV, even if you don't go to the practice, you still have a good sense of, you know, this is these are plays the Argos run. When they go into this formation, they like to do this. They motion Harris out, Olet in. This is probably what's happening. What Dinwiddie did today is he had some really clever wrinkles where it looked like one particular running play and it ended up being another. There was a gorgeous uh, run that that um, uh, that AJ Olette had. They went for 27 yards where it was action I'd never seen before. It was sort of like a, a sweep, but out of shotgun. Chad Kelly starts moving one way, hands it to Olette, who runs behind him and out wide. And that's not something you see AJ Olette do. He is more of a middle runner, but he busted out wide a couple times tonight. AJ also had a couple really patient runs where he waited and waited. He got skinny in the hole once, which when's the last time you saw AJ Olette, instead of choosing to lower his shoulder and pound somebody, got skinny and avoided some, just slipped through between his two offensive linemen and then threw on a burst. He, he's always going to lower his shoulder at some point, and he did have a few of those. But it was the finesse runs that I loved from AJ Olette, hurtling over a defender in another run. It was it was a heck of a game. He ends up with 14 carries, 90 yards, a huge average, but that 90 yards, over 100 yards uh, total when you add in his 12-yard his reception. Um, just a, a monster game for him. And it gets ignored because of the fact that Chad Kelly, DeVars Daniels, and Cam Phillips have such huge games. We forget to talk about AJ Olette. Speaking of guys we forget to talk about, don't let me forget about Javon Leak who we absolutely need to talk about in a second. We'll get there. We'll get there, I promise. Um, in terms of the rest of the offense, I got to talk about the offensive line. Their pass protection was massive today. Isaiah Cage back in at left tackle. Um, Travion Tate was banged up last week. He wasn't able to practice full this week. Cage has been practicing full for a few weeks now. They had the luxury to allow Cage to really heal 100%, get back to, to peak form before putting him back in today. And the timing of it just happened to work out. The the moment Tate gets hurt, they've got a healthy Isaiah Cage ready to come in. And he picked up where he left off. There was one costly penalty and an outburst that I want to talk about. I'll get there in a second. I'm going to group, I'll lump that in with our penalties in just a second. But yeah, let's talk about the offensive line play as a whole. So much time. Chad Kelly doesn't take a sack and he had days to throw. His, his I, I don't have access to stats like this at the moment. It's not at my fingertips here, but the amount of time he had before being forced to throw was definitely highest of the season. He stood back there with nobody. And this is a really good front four from the Ottawa Red Blacks. They've been playing lights out football all season long. You got Lorenzo Malden in there for starters, Lang. You know, like it's they they blitz Coleman. They've they've got all sorts of ways to get pressure on you, and they just didn't get through. And so that's one way you've got to credit the the uh, Toronto Argonauts offensive line and the space they were able to create in the run game. Again, you have over, I'm just uh, tallying up numbers, me trying to do math on the fly is not usually good, but they're looking at what, 130 yards rushing. Uh, and it's not like they pounded it from, from the word go. That's, that's on like 21 carries. So a highly productive day from the Toronto Argonauts offensive line, protecting Chad Kelly and creating space in the ground game. So that's the offense. Awesome. Awesome game for the Toronto offense, 44 points. They, they came into this game already with the, uh, you know, with just a, an explosive number, I think 32 points per game. I think they lead the league in that category and they easily up that with the 44 point output today. Let's talk about the defense. So defensively, 
It's a pretty typical Toronto Argonauts defensive effort. The numbers look worse than they were. That's very normal for Toronto. And if you listen to this podcast, you know why. They're a bend but don't break team. And that's exactly what Dustin Crum did with them. You look at Crum's numbers, 21 of 26 for 292 and three touchdowns. You say, wow, what an outstanding game for Crum. Yeah, no, he played fine. He played responsible football. The Argos were giving him most of those receptions. If he wanted to take the checkdowns, they were going to let him do that all day. They never once let him go downfield. What was the, the, they had some long receptions, like Ackland had a huge one. But, uh, you know, aside from that, they, there wasn't really a lot there. Uh, it was a lot of run after catch where he hit a guy at seven or eight yards depth. And Toronto was going to give that up. Now, one vulnerability I did see in the Argos defense was that the middle level was drawn in a little bit tighter today. So usually the Toronto Argonauts will give you the blanket over top. They're not letting anyone in behind them, whether it's cover four or really deep two or a, or a two man that they like to play sometimes. They're not letting anyone beat them deep. They did that today, but usually their underneath level is a little bit tighter. Today, what they did instead is they brought those linebackers in a little closer to the line of scrimmage, especially early in the game. There were a number of plays where there were nine, sometimes 10 guys right on the line of scrimmage or close to it at the snap of the ball. And they're doing that because they wanted to eliminate Ottawa's running game. And they basically did that. They didn't want Dustin Crum to be able to run for 70, 80 yards. They didn't want Williams to be able to have a monster game and keep moving the sticks. They wanted Crum to have to beat them through the air. And so they were going to let, they were going to let them get those short yards. It's just that some of them turned into slightly longer plays because usually on the snap of the ball, after the read step, Argos linebackers are fanning out a little bit. But with the play action and Dustin Crum, they did stick a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage. And so those concepts that brought in dig routes or crossing routes in behind the linebacker level, those did go for a little bit more yardage than we're used to seeing Toronto give up. Typically, that's where you've got Jones and McManus and and Williams lurking to be able to knock receivers' heads off, but also make the tackle immediately after the catch. Not so much today, but but that's the sacrifice you make to be able to to have a guy on crumb. And it and not not necessarily like they were spying. Uh, that wasn't the game plan for the Argos today. But certainly on run responsibility, what you would see is most of the time they would send that end, the read end, crashing after the running back and a linebacker would scrape along and he would be responsible for Crum if Crum was going to keep the ball himself. And so Crum ends the day with nine carries for 42 yards. That's nothing. That's fine. You'll, you'll give him that. He's, you know, averaging, uh, what, four and a half yards a carry. Um, that's not going to do it if, if that's the thing you're you're banking your offense on for, for Ottawa. So, yeah, that's that's nothing at all. And and Williams was fine. 10 carries, 47 yards, 4.7 a carry. Again, they'll, they'll give that up. And I think a lot of those came on two specific plays. So a uh, really nice, responsible game for the Argos defense. The secondary, I thought, played really well in terms of the deep ball. We saw Quantas Stiggers take away a deep ball, Ottawa taking a shot. And, uh, and Stiggers just had beautiful position. He was the receiver on that play. Probably should have been able to draw a flag against Jalen Acklin, who had to interfere with him, actually climbed up his back to knock the ball away. And, and it was just one thing after another. They're, they got home on a couple of blitzes, not necessarily always for sacks, but, but for short gains or sometimes losses. 
There's one in particular I want to highlight. Uh, Robertson Daniel, I think he got credit for a sack on this play. This was an unbelievable disguise by Robertson Daniel. So let me tell you what I saw happening as the play, as, as the teams broke the huddle. So Robertson Daniel, I saw starting close. And then as Crum got to the line, he started backing out like he was going to have deep half responsibility. It looked like cover two. And then as he started backing out and realized the ball wasn't being snapped yet, he took a few steps back in. DBs often do this to try and trick you to sort of have you think, oh, okay, you know, he's not really in cover two, but you always know he is. We've seen this so many times where, where the DB accidentally shows his hand a little early. And it looked like that's what Robertson Daniel was doing. Crum 100% thought that was going to be cover two. So Robertson walks back down close to the line of scrimmage and acts like he's about to fan out again into cover two. But he doesn't. On the snap of the ball, he comes rushing in. The offensive line doesn't pick him up. And he gets in there for the quarterback sack. Uh, absolute brains play from Robertson Daniel. It's just an experienced veteran move. I love that kind of thing. We see it from Adarius Pickett all the time. And it's... Uh, a play that uh, I feel like Daniel and Pickett play off each other so nicely. They do such a nice job of one guy showing blitz, but he's actually coming from the other side. If this guy drops out and Mechie rolls, they had a, a lot of that good stuff tonight. And it's one of the reasons that the crumb didn't take a shot downfield. Sometimes he didn't know what he was looking at. He took a lot of hits tonight, uh, not only from, you know, sacks, but he actually took a, a bunch of hits right as he released the ball. A few times on his carries, there was one carry he had for like four yards where he got hit by four or five guys. Um, just an outstanding, outstanding game from the Argos defense. Ignore the stats. The 292, it's not real. The three touchdowns passing, those are real, but they're meaningless. It doesn't, in a game like this, that's, you know, that's not what we're talking about. So you look at the rushing yards allowed. You look at the sacks, the quarterback hits. This was exactly the way the Toronto Argonauts wanted to play. Let's talk a little bit about the penalties. This was an issue, and it got it got messy. Uh, this was a this was a pretty intense game that got chippy at times. It it looked like a rivalry game. This looked like some of those Hamilton Tiger Cats games that we get, where you're seeing flags on every play. And Toronto was on the wrong end of a lot of those penalties. They finished the game eight penalties for eighty yards. Ottawa, meanwhile, with only three penalties for 39 yards. A couple of these I have questions about. And then some of them were just clear penalties. Guys doing things they shouldn't do. Let's talk about the biggest penalty of the day. And that one uh, is Isaiah Cage. And, and it's so unfortunate because I thought Cage played a heck of a game. He's got Lorenzo Malden that he was lined up against for a lot of this game. That is not an easy assignment. And he keeps Malden off Chad Kelly's back. That's a huge accomplishment. But it gets overshadowed to a degree by what could have been a game-changing penalty in the second quarter. So Toronto's got the ball. Chad Kelly throws a deep pass downfield to Curly Gittins Jr., who breaks a tackle, gets all the way down to the five-yard line. As the ball is in the air, Cage, who's engaged with Malden, throws him to the ground. And that draws a 15-yard penalty. Initially, the referees thought the penalty occurred after yards were gained. And so initially, they actually spotted it on the Ottawa 40. Gittins Jr. caught the ball at about the Ottawa 25. And that would have lined up yardage-wise. So they thought Gittins caught the ball, turned to get yards after the catch. And that's when the penalty occurred. 
So the referees were ready to make it first and 10 for the Argos from the Ottawa uh, 40. Really, the Argos would have liked that to be at the Ottawa 5. But Cage's penalty actually happened while the ball was in the air. So instead, it negates the entire gain. And the Argos now get all backed up all the way into their own end, deep in their own end. It was like the difference of about 60 yards. And it probably takes a touchdown off the board. It, it at the very least, takes a field goal off the board. And what happens on the next play? Chad Kelly drops back and throws that pick six to Cariel Brooks. Doesn't see uh, the coverage stay there in the flats. And so that penalty from Isaiah Cage, you know, you can't hold Isaiah Cage responsible for Chad Kelly's uh, poor decision. But the situation was created by that Isaiah Cage penalty. And when he got to the sideline, I don't know exactly what the exchange was there, but he was heated. And he was in Coach Dinwiddie's ear. Players were having to hold him back. Coach Dinwiddie actually took him off for the rest of the half. He sat on the sideline for the rest of that half. They put Shane Richards in at right tackle, moved John Allen over to left tackle where he played most of last season. And they, uh, they went with that until halftime before Cage came back in the game. But he was fired up. And you had, this is something I love to see. You had um, Ryan Hunter. An experienced player, a guy with a Super Bowl ring, a Grey Cup ring. Ryan Hunter knows what he's doing. He sees his, his guy in Isaiah Cage is just hot and gets in between him and everybody that Cage is trying to interact with. Because Cage needed to cool down. He needed to settle before they could move on. And so he settles Cage down. They go into half. Cage is able to sit, relax, maybe talk about it. And to start the second half, Cage is back in there at left tackle. And, and he should be. He was playing well. But you couldn't, I, I, again, I don't know the full exchange. I don't know exactly what happened. I don't think we're going to find out exactly what words were said. But it's the right move by Coach Dinwiddie to take him out in that situation. You can't send him back out on the field raging like that. Because what you're going to do is you're going to get an immediate penalty. That's just, We've seen it happen before. You see this happen again and again. You send a guy out to, onto the field who is is boiling. And in a game like that where they know uh, you're bubbling. They they know how to get under your skin, and Malden does. That's exactly what would have happened. So Cage cools, and uh, he's able to go out and play a, a stellar second half. But that was a massive penalty because at the time it allowed the Ottawa Red Blacks to retake the lead, and there were like six lead changes in that first half alone, uh, where it was just back and forth. Let's talk about a couple of the other penalties. There was a drive that was. Pretty penalty-aided, I guess we'll say. Uh, Ottawa, backed up in their own end, were facing a second and 25 situation, I think it was. Flo Remolade comes in with what looks like a combined sack with he and Sean Oakman. They both annihilated Crum. They got there at the same time, and both in very different ways. So Oakman got off the line. He was held up initially. And he just surged through and split offensive linemen and pummeled Crum. Meanwhile, Arimelade, who had been playing a very responsible brand of defensive line play. I'll explain on that in a minute, what I mean by responsible. On this play, it's ears back. And he uses one of his uh, uh, speed rip combo moves, gets around the outside, and has a meeting on top of Dustin Crum with Sean Oakman. They both hit him so hard. But what happened is Flo, as he is hitting Crum, 
He's bringing his arm down to try and strip the ball. That's that's what you do. That's what he does. This is why you you have sack fumbles. But as this is happening, because Oakman is also making contact with Crum, he Oakman actually knocks Flo's arm into Dustin Crum's helmet. He doesn't tackle him by the helmet, but he clearly hits him in the head with his right arm as he's trying to knock that ball free. But it, it wasn't Flo's fault. He's trying to strip the ball open. You can't play him open either. It's just one of those weird things because there were two guys sacking the quarterback at once. Flo's arm gets knocked into Crum's helmet. It is technically a penalty. They challenged it. Really, really smart challenge from Coach Dice. Wins that challenge. And that was a massive difference. And then on the very next play, Winton McManus gets flagged for a roughing call, which I thought was a ludicrous penalty call. I agree with the one on Arumilade. It was unfortunate, but I think it was a penalty. What I don't agree with on this play is that Crum had left the pocket. He had become a runner. McManus had him wrapped up, and Crum is trying to break the tackle. This is like five yards from the sideline. Crum's going forwards, trying to break the tackle. McManus spins him and throws him to the ground. It was the best way to tackle Crum at that point. And instead, the referees throw a flag. They call that uh, unnecessary roughness. It wasn't roughing the passer, but it was unnecessary roughness. Crum's a runner at that point. I get protecting the quarterback. I'm all for that. He's no longer a quarterback at that point. He's got the ball tucked away. He's running up the sideline. You, you wouldn't throw that flag if that were a running back that got thrown to the ground. You can't throw that flag with it being a quarterback. It's just, it was a bad call. And I thought this crew actually, for the most part, did a pretty good job tonight. I love Andre Pru. Um, I, I just, I couldn't understand that one. I thought that one was absurd. So, uh, yeah, some of those penalties, a little bit questionable, but uh, yeah, it was a little bit of an undisciplined night in some ways for the Argos. I forgot to talk about special teams and Javon Leak. I was going to do that before I got the penalties, but I'm, I'm so excited about the billion things that happened tonight. I missed it entirely. So, yeah, let's talk about Javon Leak. His third punt return touchdown of the season and this one I felt was his most impressive. He catches the ball pinned to the left sideline and he sees the smallest of windows. There wasn't much there. He catches the ball, he's surrounded. There's a tiny little gap diagonally to his right and he goes flying through it. His path to the end zone, while it may only have been 70 plus yards in terms of distance to the like, vertical distance to the end zone, he probably ran 150 yards because he takes a diagonal path all the way across the field. That's 65 yards right there that he's taking all the way across the field on this path. He gets to the far right sideline and turns it up. And he's in danger of being caught. I actually thought he was going to be caught short, but he turns on the Jets. He's being pulled backwards by the jersey, which should have been a horse collar penalty. It's, it's not. But as he's being pulled back by the inside of his jersey, he's able to extend and touch the pylon with the football, which is a touchdown. And the referees very astutely called that touchdown. But, but yeah, it was definitely a horse collar. His, his shoulder pads are all outside the jersey after that play because he was getting pulled down from behind. But the vision for Leak to see that hole, the speed for him to get up the sideline and to outrun a player who's got the angle on him, and then the strength to fight through that horse collar and extend himself. And now we're talking about body control as you're being rolled out of bounds to keep all parts of your body in bounds until you hit that pylon with the football was just an unbelievable play from Leak. And on another night, if things aren't going well offensively or defensively, maybe you can look at 
Javon Leak as as being the hero. And maybe you can say, well, he's the player of the game. But there were just way too many other candidates on the offensive side of the ball, even some on the defensive side of the ball. And so Leak, like Cam Phillips, has a massive game that nobody's talking about because there's just so much there's just so much more to discuss. But uh, yeah, a, a heck of a game. Boris Beattie, uh, an uncharacteristic miss of an extra point. He was four or five on extra points. There was one that turned into a Boris Beattie pass. This doesn't get, he doesn't get the knock for, um, uh, he doesn't really get the knock for missing this because the snap actually flew into the air. And so Boris Beattie ended up collecting it about 15 yards behind the line of scrimmage, tried to make something of it, actually took an intentional grounding call uh, but was so mad about this that on the ensuing kickoff, after missing that, that PAT, he kicked the ball so far. He tied a CFL record with a 100-yard kickoff that went through the back of the end zone. And the Ottawa returners had no chance. I don't remember which Ottawa returner it was that, that he, had, he had the ball go just off the tips of his fingers 15 yards deep into the end zone. Boris had the wind at his back and just unloaded on that one. But, yeah, he, he did... I guess technically the Argos missed two kicks. It was only one kick he missed. He pulled one uh, a little bit wide, but yeah, a little uncharacteristic. Not a great day punting for uh, for Haggerty and into the into the wind. He had some trouble. Uh, he ends up with a uh, with a uh, an average of forty two point three, which is low by Haggerty's standards. But he really struggled into the wind. I felt both kickers did, but I think Haggerty even more so. There was a wind coming from the north in this game that was probably not very evident if you watch the TV broadcast. Here in the stadium, you could tell. Uh, in the booth here behind me, if you're watching on YouTube, Mike Hogan and I have our windows open here. And so, because it allows us to hear the game a little bit better, to feel the game, to hear the crowd noise, all that stuff. It's just a better immersive experience for us and for you listening on the radio. But uh, it was windy in the booth. And that tells you how windy it was on the field. That wind coming from the north was strong. And it not only affected quarterbacks, it really affected punts. And we had a couple of no yards penalties because of that. We had some very short punts because of that. I don't think Javon League's punt return touchdown was because of that. But it didn't hurt because that ball did hang up. Guys were having to hold back and were flat-footed on the return team because they didn't want to get called for another no yards penalty. So... The wind definitely was a, a factor in this game, and that, I think, affected uh, Haggerty a lot. Uh, let, me get to, uh, let me get to some, some player of the game uh, calls and some, uh, some plays of the game things before we sign off here. First of all, player of the game is really tough. I, I think you have to tip your hat to Chad Kelly because it was a, it was a performance for the ages. As I said, first quarterback performance over 400 yards in years and he does it on only 21 completions. Remember, we've seen quarterbacks with 20 or more completions and under 200 yards passing. We saw that the other day against BC, I think it was Mason Fine against BC, where they had uh, 22 yards, 22 completions for like 178 yards or something like that. Here, Kelly gets 21 completions for 417, and he's not the player of the game in my mind. I think you have to give it to Devaris Daniels because those numbers, 180 yards receiving and three touchdowns, that's just that's bonkers. That's those aren't normal numbers. That to me has got to be the player of the game. So 
I, I, so many other ways you can go. You could look at the offensive line and give almost any one of those guys a player of the game nod. Robertson Daniel had a huge game. I was defensively like Wyndham McManus with eight tackles. He was a monster tonight on a normal night. You could even you could talk about him, but he's not in the conversation. Uh, Javon Leak gets an honorable mention, but he's really not in the conversation either because of Chad Kelly and Devaris Daniels. But this is Devaris Daniels night. So got to give it to D.D. Play of the game, Devaris Daniels' third touchdown. I described it in detail already. It was just such a heads-up play, and it was really at a moment where you saw the Argos separate themselves. They built up a 10-point lead at that stage. Daniels not even supposed to be in the play. He's backside. He sees his quarterback in trouble, works all the way across. And Chad, with not only the just the the, the arm angle, the ability to, to sort of chuck it shortstop style, sidearm, to Devaris Daniels, Devaris with the wherewithal to be able to get back into the play. To me, that was a massive turning point. Play of the game, though, there's honestly, there's like 10 different ways you could go here, but that's the one I'm going to go with. And again, tip the hat to the Javon Leak uh, punt return touchdown. He's got he's got three. And Mike Hogan said this in the broadcast, like no one's even talking about him. You know, elite returners, people talk about Chandler Worthy. They always talk about Mario Alford. Javon Leak is leading the CFL in punt return yards this season. And tonight is only going to help that. Three punt return touchdowns. I don't know how he's going to be kept out of special teams conversations any longer after a night like this. He was just explosive. Some of it he did on his own, but Mickey Donovan's crew is blocking for him now. It's such a vast improvement over what we saw last season. And that's got to be something the entire coaching staff is thrilled with. Uh, Just sort of last notes as I'm looking through things. I I do want to just talk about the coaching staff a little bit. I thought Coach Dinwiddie called a really nice game, and I thought he he game managed very nicely. I already talked about, you know, sitting Isaiah Cage. There are a few really good calls he made. I love the fact that late in the game, when Toronto's trying to burn clock, I think a lot of coaches just get to handing the ball off. Second down situations, he put the ball in Chad Kelly's hands. He had Chad play fake pull the ball, and then look for a receiver. And and Chad found his receiver every time. Oh, one more one more shout-out in this night of shadows. Unger. Unger has been targeted, I believe, now 15 times this season, and he has 15 receptions. Again, four for four today, 62 yards. How's that for a guy that we didn't even mention yet? Never even said his name, and he's four of four for 62 yards. He was... He was just, anytime they needed a play, he found space. He was wide open. Again, a lot of that is Coach Dinwiddie's scheming stuff. He had a lot of clear outs today and guys coming underneath that where he'd have like two goes on the outside and the inside receiver runs a speed out. Everyone clears out traffic. That speed out turns into a big play. Sometimes it was Phillips, sometimes it's Ungerer. But uh, yeah, that's just a a, a really strong uh, coaching uh, display from Coach Dinwiddie. And then Mace on the other side of the field. He did exactly what you've got to do against this Ottawa team. Make Crum beat you through the air. And while the numbers look good, nothing was deep downfield. Crum just picked his way down the field slowly. And Ottawa's just not going to bleed you to death that way. It's just not going to happen. And especially the way the Toronto offense was playing. They built up so much of a cushion uh, at the end of the game that it, it really didn't matter. And a lot of those yards came on that last drive when Ottawa finally seemed to put something together, but it's because Toronto's playing in a, in a super deep shell. Well, that will just about do it for us on this episode of the Post Game Reaction X's and Argos podcast. We're heading into a bye week now, 
And, uh, and we will bring our bi-week pod to you midweek. We'll, of course, have our picks to make. We'll make our bets of the week. All the usual stuff that we've got on our pregame walkthrough. But we don't actually have a game to preview for you. This is the last bi-week for the Toronto Argonauts. And it's such an unusual situation. It's their third and final bye. And we're only in week 10. So week 11, they're on a bye. In the final 10 weeks of the season, Toronto's got no buys. 10 straight games in 10 weeks. Every other team in the league has at least one bye. Six of the eight teams have two buys, while Toronto's got none. And so the importance of every game over the next five or six is huge. Because if Toronto can wrap up the East early, it affords them the luxury to be able to start resting guys down the final stretch of the season when everyone else is beating themselves up in the East to try and get that second or third place spot. Toronto can maybe take their foot off the gas. That's why wins like this are so huge. Toronto now at 7-1 and one have built up just that much more cushion between themselves and the rest of the East division. From BMO Field, this is Ben Grant saying so long and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya.